In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Barigua. But Barigua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Hi, and welcome to Travel Tales, a podcast from Afar Media. I'm your host, Deputy Editor Aislinn Green. I don't know about you, but I am finally beginning to dip my toes back into the travel waters. For example, I recently took my first flight in nearly two years, which took me to Alaska. Getting back out in the world, it really just makes me want to travel more. So, lucky for us, the creative folks I've worked with over the past seven years, comedians, philosophers, novelists, they feel the same way. So each week on Travel Tales, we'll hear from one of our favorite contributors about a trip that changed their life. Ready? Let's go. In this episode, we'll hear a story of cross-cultural connection. Have you studied abroad or maybe moved to a country where you didn't speak the language? Then you'll probably have compassion for the tale we're about to hear from Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz. Carolina is a professional storyteller. Yes, she tells stories for a living. Tales of Latin American myths and folklore. She's been doing it for years and she loves it. But while her stories flow now, that wasn't always the case. When she first moved from the country of Colombia to Johnson City, Tennessee to get her master's in storytelling, she experienced intense culture shock. She struggled to understand people, to find her place, and she really didn't like the cold. But as we know, sometimes the most challenging experiences are the ones that wind up changing our lives. Here's her tale. I am a professional storyteller. I tell traditional folk tales, myths, and legends from Latin America at schools, libraries, and festivals. That's what I do. I've told stories about the creation of the world, about different heroes' journeys, but I haven't yet told the story of how I got here, the story about how storytelling literally changed my life. I grew up as an only child in Cali, Colombia, but my traveling journey began soon after I turned 30. You could say I did the soul searching that comes with that age. 
At the time, I already had a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and another in social communications and a master's in arts management, but I felt stuck. So far, I had pleased my dad's wishes and I was good at my job, but I knew these things were not what my soul truly wanted. Around my 30th birthday, a good friend of mine who was a couple of years older than me said something that kind of sounded like an omen. She said, when I turned 30, I got divorced and then I found a good specimen who would get me pregnant. And so I did. I thought, I want to change my life too, but not like that. So I did what I thought would help me find the answer. I had saved some money and I told myself, I'm going to go to Nepal. I might not get to the Himalayan mountains, but I'll go as close as I can get. I'm going to learn how to meditate and I'm going to figure it out my life. I'm going to figure it out what I really want to do and how I'm going to do it. But that's not the journey that life had planned for me. At the time, I was working at a cultural center and I had a good friend and co-worker that we called Abuelo. It means grandpa. Even though he was 10 years older than me, he was very wise. He pointed me in a different direction. So I told him about my Nepal plan and he said, you are so crazy. That is the worst idea ever. He was worried about me going there alone. Then he said, don't you like telling stories? I said, yeah, so what? He knew one of my hobbies was storytelling. So he said that some other storyteller he knew had gone to the U.S. to get a master's in storytelling. I thought, no one studies to tell stories, duh. You don't study to become a storyteller. There's no such thing. You don't get a master's in that. You just get on stage and you tell your stories. That's what it is. So just to prove him wrong, I looked it up. And I was wrong. There was a master's degree in storytelling in Johnson City, Tennessee. At the time, Google Maps was not very helpful. What Google Maps showed me about Johnson City, Tennessee, was a pretty small town in the mountains, in about five pictures. My friends and family said that small towns are the best places to perfect your English skills. So I thought, well, that's a plus. I applied to the university and they accepted me. When I was applying for my visa at the embassy, the clerk asked if I've ever been to the United States. I told him I've been to Miami and New York, and he said, oh girl, you have no idea where you're going now. I ignored him. But everything happened so fast. And on January the 6th, 2012, I arrived in Johnson City, Tennessee. It was cold and dark. I'd never seen snow before, and I was not impressed by the snow. I just hated it. I come from a city with mild to warm weather, so I'm not used to the cold or bundling up with many layers of clothes. Even inside the buildings, I felt cold. It was not only a climate shock for me, but it was a cultural shock too. To begin with, my English was not what I thought it was. To come to study as a foreigner, you have to pass an English proficiency test. The test 
said that Carolina spoke very good English. But when I arrived in Johnson City, Tennessee, Carolina didn't understand what people were saying. And people were not understanding Carolina. Today, I know that accents play a part in that miscommunication. Yet it was just so hard. For the first couple of months, I felt lost. I thought I had made the biggest mistake of my life. My brain was trying so hard to speak and think in English all the time. It was so frustrating that I would have headaches every single day. Like one day, while telling stories to children, halfway through, I began speaking Spanish. I didn't notice until I saw confusion in the children's faces. You bet, it was so challenging. I also never seen so many white people around me. I called my mom the first week and I said, Mommy, these people are seriously white and big and tall. Their skin is almost translucent. They are like giants. I even told my mom that in my dorm, I saw a roach. But my mom adores the United States. She couldn't believe it. She said, that's impossible. In the United States, they don't have roaches. I said, no, they do have roaches. So these guys are not perfect as they show in the movies. I don't understand why. <laughs> But just the fact that at least you guys have your own issues, it made me feel like I hadn't traveled to another planet. But I still wanted to leave. I just wanted to leave. However, I am convinced these days that life wanted me here. Little by little, I began meeting people at the school. Since in the U.S., if you don't have a car, you can't go far. My world was the dorm, classroom, and the office where I got my graduate scholarship. But some of the people I met from time to time gave me a tour of the city outskirts. And even though I detested the winters, I learned that the Appalachian Mountains are beautiful in spring. Yet I was having a hard time adjusting to the new lifestyle, the food, the weather, talking in English all the time. I even missed the boring novellas from back home. I didn't have a TV in the dorm. But it always happened every time that I was about to say, no, I'm done. I'm buying my ticket. I'm going back. I don't care what people are going to think about me. Then I would meet someone that wanted me to work or collaborate with them. And one of the first people that I met was an Indian girl named Priti Sharma. I met her almost a month in. One night, while waiting for the campus bus, she asked me where I was from and if I liked dancing. She was very straightforward. That's all it took to recruit me. She loved choreographing Indian traditional dances and asked me to be her partner in her next event. I am very grateful to her and to all the other people that I met because 
Just the simple thing as inviting me to dance really helped me stay here for an extra month. Literally, every week or every two weeks, during the first eight months, when I was having second thoughts, someone would appear in my life and say, hey, do you want to join us in this? In the end, I stayed. I suppose I lowered my defenses and had more confidence in my English skills. I began to discover the city around me, enjoy the change of the seasons, and draw strength, wisdom, and advice from the stories I was working on. In particular, there is a Peruvian folktale called In Search of the Magic Lake. And it's a story about a young girl that goes on a journey to save her family and the prince. But her kindness and trust in those who wanted to help her is what got her through. And what got me through. I graduated in December 2013. Three months before I graduated, I met the one that was going to be the love of my life, my husband. Back one day when I was complaining that I could have gone to Nepal and done all this stuff, meditating, etc., a friend said, Well, Carolina, don't you realize it? Johnson City was your Nepal. It hit me. Just as if I had gone to meditate in Nepal, I was never the same after moving to Johnson City. I really ended up searching my soul. I met the love of my life and many amazing mentors. And I'm still here. I found my calling, what fills me with joy. I took a leap of faith. I wanted to quit so many times, but I'm glad I did not. As of today, I have walked a long path in my storytelling journey. And I am one of the youngest storytellers featured at national storytelling festivals. And I am grateful to all those who cheered me up, who stood by me, who helped me, and I am proud of myself. Coming to Johnson City was my hero's journey. The whole experience helped me find my life's purpose, which is not only storytelling, but understanding the power that stories have in transforming us. Today, my repertoire is dedicated to Latin America because I feel that audiences can draw wisdom and strength from our stories too. My husband and I have lived in Texas and now in Georgia, but I've been back to Johnson City many times since I graduated. My husband's friends and family are from there and one of my best friends settled there too. The city has grown. There's even a Colombian restaurant in town. I've gotten better acquainted with extreme heat and cold, and I am more able to appreciate the snow and a couple of winter days. My husband and I still prefer warmer climates. And while a decade ago, I would never have thought I would say this about Johnson City, my Nepal. We have even talked about moving back. That was Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz. 
Throughout 2020 and 2021, she performed virtually and offered workshops online. But in early September, she got to do her first in-person event. She was the featured artist at Utah's Timpanogos Storytelling Festival, which happens every year. And yes, she still visits Johnson City frequently. In fact, she and her husband might move back in the near future. You can hear more from Carolina on her bilingual podcast, Tres Cuentos, dedicated to the literary, historical, and traditional narratives of Latin America, or find out more on her podcast website, trescuentos.com, or her storytelling website, carolinastoryteller.com. Finally, it's time for Tiny Travel Tales, when we hand over the mic to our listeners. That's you. Now let's hear from Maxine Schur from San Rafael, California. In Paris, over the past several years, I've learned how to put myself together. That is, I have learned how to think of clothes in a whole new way. Parisians look at the appearance of things much differently than we do. A chic man I know there says that if I were to ever dress truly stylish in the States, I'd look bizarre. But in Paris, nothing, nothing is too odd to be thought delightful. All manner of curious things are used to serve the fashion gods. I am now the proud owner of pretty necklaces made from buttons, rubber water bottles, metal springs, and zippers. I wear perfume that has pepper in it, and I have gloves with tiny inner pockets for perfumed sachets. I wear a pale green hat that sports a baby blue felt heart secured by a diaper pin, and another hat that is brown and looks like autumn leaves tumbling down my head. I have black trousers with hidden thigh-high slits up the side and a matching purse with felt flowers snapped on. But wait, the flowers are roses and the purse comes as well with snap-on daisies, should I grow bored. Nothing, nothing is too strange for the Parisians to wear. If it's inventive, it's chic. My friend Sabine, for example, wears a charming, though curious necklace made from the caps of ballpoint pens. Isn't this a bit much, I have asked hesitantly before each of my purchases, the black and white checkerboard beret with a red leather flower, the dress with jewelry already embedded in it, or the purse made from old colorized French films. Pas du tout, the vendeur cries, surprised, even offended at my concern. Sometimes the saleswoman herself will put on the item to show me the way it must be worn. Oh, how that shames me. Yes, it does look charming. Ça gay, madame, which in French means that the thing you think odd about the item is the very thing that makes it more merry, more cheerful. One vendeuse demanded, haven't peasants always done this by embroidering their rustic clothes with flowers? And once, a young salesgirl, cute as candy, with touches of turquoise in her hair, regarded me for several moments as if I were a bland blancmange. And then, with a rippling laugh and a little shimmy, she cried, Il vous faut un peu de wow. You need a bit of wow. Later, when I came to regard myself in the store mirror, wearing the violet bustier with 22 buttons down the back, I knew I was on the right track for getting wow, 
and the sale is confirmed when I hear that lovely but odd French compliment. On you, it succeeds. I have learned so much about dressing, been given so much terrific unsolicited advice from salespeople that I am thinking of writing a book. Everything I learned about life, I learned in a French shop. Of course, most important, I've been told not to worry about how much I might be spending. The shopkeepers have assured me that when you buy something truly innovative, it's beyond style. So, how can it go out of style? This thought and the VAT credit you get back will reduce any guilt you might incur. And, as that Parisian exile and dandy, Oscar Wilde, advised, the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Take his advice, and when in Paris, go get your wow. That was listener Maxine Schur. Up next for Maxine, you guessed it, she's returning to Paris in December. I can't wait to poke around the shops, she told me. Ready for more travel stories? Visit us online at afar.com slash travel tales. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's adventure, we hope you'll come back next week for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And please be sure to rate and review us. It helps other travelers find the show. This has been Travel Tales, a production of Afar Media and Boom Integrated. Our podcast is produced by Aislinn Green, Adrian Glover, and Robin Lai. Post-production was by John Marshall Media staff Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Music composition by Alan Kresha. And a special thanks to Laura Redman, Irene Wang, Angela Johnston, and Nina Gainsler-Debs. I'm Aislinn Green, your semi-impatient travel-ready host. I can't wait to hit the road again. And again, as we begin to explore the world once more, remember that travel begins the moment we walk out our front door. Everyone has a travel tale. What's yours?